Well, we are so glad that you're here. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament today. So if you'd like to turn there, it will also be, some of it will be on the screen as we look today. You know, it's interesting. The Bible talks about the last week of Jesus' life, the Saturday before they anointed his uh, body for burial. He was alive, but Mary came along and did that. At the same time, the religious leaders were trying to connive concerning his death. We come to Sunday morning. Last Sunday, we observed Palm Sunday. It was a very special day. People were alive with Jesus, if you want to put it that way. They were excited about him. They couldn't wait. They were hailing him as the king of the Jews. We go through his week. Tuesday was an incredibly busy day for Jesus, if you read the scriptures. But you know, we come to Wednesday. I don't know if you've followed along the chronology of Jesus' life, but when you come to Wednesday... The only mention even of Jesus was about a man named Judas who decided he would betray Jesus. He met with the, with the religious leaders. They agreed to 30 pieces of silver. They came to that moment. They made that agreement. And from that moment, they looked to where they could get rid of him. I always wonder, what was Wednesday like for Jesus? You know, when you come to... Thursday evening, and he's in the garden. The Bible said he sweat like it was great drops of blood. So there was so much pressure upon the life of Jesus. You have to wonder, what was that Wednesday like? Because nothing is said. We could speculate as to what happened, and that's really all we can do today. But can you imagine? I have to think in my heart that this was a time of pressure for Jesus. Five times he was confronted with the with the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees on Tuesday concerning all kind of things of Jesus' life. His authority, why can you say and do the things you're doing, about various things. Who do we pay money to? Is it to see the government or is it to, you know, to the Jewish temple? So many things they were looking to just nitpick and get at him. So he felt the pressure of Tuesday, and I know he was feeling the pressure of Thursday. So he's feeling it. I have to think in my heart, he's, he knows why he's going to go to the cross. He knows what he's going to do. He knows the payment that had to be made for sin. That's why Jesus came. So you can imagine maybe the moments that he spent with his heavenly father, sharing his heart, pouring it out to those who were there, feeling the weight, feeling the pressure. I think that is why maybe on Thursday evening, Jesus looked around the disciples and said, I have so longed for this moment with you. It had to be a special moment. Looking around them, knowing that one was going to betray him, get ready to do it very soon. But knowing that he was going to be able to share with his disciples that he had poured his life into for all those three and a half years knowing what he's about to face, and yet enjoying that moment with them, giving them a new covenant, a new agreement. Then he goes out to the garden. John 17 is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible dealing with the prayer life of Jesus. It's phenomenal. I encourage you to read it maybe today. When he's done, we know the soldiers came. He said, you know, I was with you all the time. Why are you coming like this to arrest me? They arrest him. 
During the night, there are six illegal trials against Jesus. Three were religious. The religious leaders came. Number one, they were not even allowed to hold tribunals at night. And yet when they took Jesus, that's exactly what they did. They broke their own laws. The ones who said, we are the ones who follow the law. They so hated Jesus. Next, he goes to Annas, goes to the high priest, uh, former high priest, and the, the next high priest, Caiaphas, goes back to Pilate. The Roman soldiers, they make a mockery of a trial with him. Take off his robe, they put a crown of thorns on him, give him a reed, they mock him, hail king of the Jews. And we know the torment that Jesus faced physically before he even went to the cross. And then we know Friday, <laughs> seven sayings on the cross, none of them in hatred, none of them spewing out kind of things that, that you would expect maybe some of us would give. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. God, why have you forsaken me? Not Father, but my God. It is finished. <laughs> what I came to do has been paid for. And all of a sudden, again, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. They wrap him up. It's interesting. Joseph of Arimathea, and then also a man named Nicodemus. You ever heard that name before? John chapter 3, a religious leader, comes to Jesus by night. Doesn't want anybody to know he's with Jesus. But through the course of time, he began to understand Jesus really is who he said he was. And he comes to faith in Jesus. And when it's time for burial, he's one of the two who takes him, puts him in that tomb. It had to be a horrible time for the disciples. He had told them, Jesus had told them, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. Matthew 26, verses 31 and 32, he says those very things. But they weren't getting it. They were feeling the weight, like everything we, we thought we were living for is now gone. It's, it, I don't understand it all. They never envisioned at all, any of them, that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Even though Jesus had done it on occasion, in the scriptures it verifies. A widow woman, her only son had died. Jesus comes along, touches the casket, which you don't do because then you're ceremonially unclean. And he calls him out from death. Shortly before his death, he calls out, Lazarus, come forth, come on out. They had visually seen it, but when he told them it was going to happen to him, they couldn't grab it. They couldn't understand it. So that Sunday morning, some women prepared spices to help with the burial, further burial of Jesus' entombment. They're walking. They say, how in the world are we going to get that rock out of the way from that tomb? They say the rock that was placed there, it had grooves in it. It weighed probably a four to five foot stone like that to be rolled in front. Most likely weighed between three to four thousand pounds. It was incredibly heavy. So they did all the work and they think, how are we going to get it open? But what happened when they got there? <laughs> they didn't have to move a thing, did they? All of a sudden, Sunday came along. Because it was the celebration Sunday. You know, we say that every Sunday is the Lord's Day, but I have to believe that 2,000 plus years ago, 
it was really the Lord's day, amen? It was that day he rose from the dead, the day that now we celebrate as Easter and we come together and we try to dress up and look extra nice and, and we enjoy family and we enjoy all the things that go with it, but we really are here because there is a risen Savior. We are here because we know he's alive. He's come into our lives. If you're a Christian, you know the difference, the change that he not only made, but is making in your life. And so he's not only resurrected himself when you came to know Christ, he resurrected you. He gave you a brand new life. The Bible says if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so we see that we come to this moment. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, it's the foundation stone to the Christian faith. It's interesting, then, when we come to this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, we know the Bible says the resurrection of Jesus is why we celebrate. But something had been happening in this city that now there were people saying, well, yes, Jesus died on the cross, but let he never really did rise from the dead. In fact, he said this in, in part of the beginning. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, speaking of the resurrection, and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, by the gospel you are saved. Verse 3, here's what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But there was a group of people saying, we don't take the third part. Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But that's all there was. How phenomenal, though, that people would only believe that, that he died, he was buried. We're going to look at what would happen if Jesus hadn't have been raised from the dead in a little bit, and we'll look at some of the blessings that come from it. But Paul is dealing with some in Corinth who were teaching this, that there was no resurrection. Verse 12 said, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? In other words, if the premise of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not only that he suffered for our sins, he died, he was buried, but he never rose again, what value is it really? You know, I have been in ministry for a long time. I keep a record of those that I have been part of their burial service. Nearly 250 funerals amazes me. I've seen them from a tiny box about this big of an 11-year-old day, day baby to those who are nearing 100 and everywhere in between. Some natural deaths, some tragic events, you can picture it in your mind. We read the news. We hear of someone who's died in a car crash. I was just talking to a girl whose grandfather died unexpectedly this week. Sorrow in their hearts. You see, when we look at the gospel and we say there is no resurrection, we have to ask, in the midst of all the heartache and the pain and the sense that I am feeling this incredible loss, is there any hope? If I was in Corinth, and I was there, and I was saying, well, you know, I don't know, because I don't think Jesus really rose from the dead. I think there would be a lot greater heartbreak, a lot deeper sorrow, one that would seemingly never go away. 
Can you imagine what it would be like if all I could do to those who are standing around a casket or an urn and declare to know who declare to know Jesus and say to them, sorry, but this is all there is right here. This is the end. No more. You can almost feel the emptiness, can't you? You can feel a sense that, boy, there's, is this it? Is this really it? And I'm supposed to be a believer in Jesus. And I come to this moment and I look and I see, and this is all there is. I can't imagine being a Christian and not believing the truth of the gospel. If it was possible that Christ never rose from the dead, but we believe it's not possible, then what would life be like? In 1 Corinthians, it begins to help us understand a little bit about our faith, about what it really is to know Jesus and what it would be like if he never rose from the dead. So let's notice just some thoughts today. The emptiness of no resurrection. We've sang a lot about Jesus today, haven't we? His resurrection, his life he gives us. But do you realize if he had never risen from the dead that Christ was a liar? Oh, that's strong language, isn't it? Because Jesus himself declared in John chapter 11 when he is getting ready to go to see Lazarus after he had died and feeling the pain and the heartache and all those things before he ever got into the town, the sisters come out, Mary and Martha, and Jesus said, this was his words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. All of a sudden, if Jesus had never rose from the dead, he was a bold liar. He conceived a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas in people's lives that he was going to be the Savior, the Messiah, the one who would save the nation and save the world, and yet all it was was a bunch of words. And we would have to walk away with our heads down wondering why in the world we ever followed this guy who said he was what he wasn't. If there is no resurrection, Jesus Christ was a liar. And for us who are Christians, proclaiming Jesus would be useless. What would be the purpose? To give people a false sense of hope? To say, hey, there's something more to come. You just need to follow Jesus. If Jesus never rose from the dead, there really is no hope. It says in the Bible there it would be useless. In other words, being of no purpose or result. You've heard that word, it was for naught, that phrase. That's really what it's saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, everything is for naught. It's of no value. It's not real. It's not genuine. It would make little difference in your life. Say, man, yeah, my sins are forgiven. Well, what difference would that make? You might live a little better than someone else, but there would be no eternal result. We would all up, end up the, the same. We would be dead and in a grave or ashes spread. You see, proclaiming Jesus would be useless. And not only that, the Bible said here in this passage, in verse 14, that your faith is futile. 
It's the same word as the word useless. It's for not. It's, it's no value. So you can believe what you want to believe, but if Jesus never rose from the dead, it does you absolutely no good. Many people believe in many things that are not true. All you got to do is listen to the culture. Sometimes there's probably things you thought were true and you realize later in life, that wasn't true, but I was banking on it. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, our faith would be futile. It would not be right. Your faith does you no good because you're believing in something that was not true. Faith in a non-risen Savior will get you nowhere in this life or the next because there will be nothing beyond the grave. And so we need to do what it would say in verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 15 that's pulled back from the Old Testament where Isaiah, I think, is mocking a little bit when he said, well, let's just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Just do whatever you want to do because it really will not matter. Without Jesus' resurrection, our, our, our faith is futile. It does us no good. Well, more than that, not only is our faith futile, but even without maybe knowing it, we're liars as well. We're false witnesses about God. That's what it said. It said in, in verse 15 that we would be, all be false witnesses declaring something that was not true. It's amazing. Peter would have been a false witness. James would have been a liar. John would have been a liar. Timothy from the New Testament. Maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe your siblings, whoever it may be, if they're believers in Christ, and they say Jesus rose from the dead and he didn't. We're all declaring something that was not real and we're lying to somebody, giving them a sense of false hope. All of a sudden, here we see Christ's resurrection is incredibly important. And even worse, if Jesus never rose from the dead, you're still responsible for your sins. Christ died for them, but the proof of his, what he did was found in the resurrection. It was found that he overcame death, that he was able to go past it. The Bible says the wages of, uh, the wages of our sin is death. It simply means not just physical death, it means eternal separation from God. So all of a sudden, if Jesus did not overcome physical death, then eternal life could never be possible. There was no payment for sins by Jesus that was effective. In fact, everyone who has died is responsible then for their own sins. There are sins in our lives, probably every one of us, that we don't want anybody else to know. There's got to be one or two. We're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we feel a sense of guilt, or we have in the past at least. Can you imagine that you would have to carry that all your life because you'd never been forgiven of it, truly forgiven? That one day when you come to the end of life, either your life would cease or if you believe the hell part, which we believe Scripture teaches heaven and hell, you would end up paying for your own sin there. Because if Christ never rose from the dead, we have no chance. We have no opportunity. If this were true, we would be of all people the most to be pitied. In verses 18 and 19, it says, even those with hope in Jesus 
First, it says they are lost. What an empty feeling that would be. And then he said as well, so I just mentioned, they are most to be pitied. You can almost see people who wouldn't believe and say, look at those fools over there. They say they trust in Jesus. He's still dead. Oh, no, they can't find the body, but we know what happened to it. You know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because there was no body there on that resurrection morning. Some say, well, the Romans took it. Why in the world would the Romans want to take it? You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to keep peace in Israel and Jerusalem. There's no way they were going to take it. It would create upheaval. Others said that, no, it's the religious leaders because we know Jesus said he's going to go. Well, why in the world would they want to do it? They couldn't do it. It would create chaos for them. Others said, well, we know they paid. It was the disciples you realize that when there were soldiers guarding that tomb, not only here's this heavy stone to move, which could have been done, but there were a, a squadron of soldiers. Many times that means there were four soldiers on guard. There were 16 total. They took four-hour shifts, and they were guarding that tomb. Do you really think there's going to be a few disciples come and overcome all those guys and be victorious? None of it makes sense. But we know the Scriptures tell us it was verified by others who saw it that Jesus' body wasn't there. And it's amazing. There was no body, but there were burial clothes. It's not something like we would just slip on a shirt over our, 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 our head and down through our shoulders. No, they wrapped it. And amazingly, when they looked in, here is this body covering it's all wrapped together. The head part, the body part, maybe a little sunken in, but it's all there like it was. So not even as some people said, Jesus just resuscitated and walked off. That doesn't even make sense. How in the world could he walk off without tearing up what they had wrapped him in? It's amazing when we begin to look and we say, there was no resurrection. The proof of the truth of it has to show there was a resurrection, and it's amazing. Many of us read history, and we believe in this person and that person, that we have one or two little manuscripts about their lives. They say, see, this says they lived. And we have unbelievable amount of manuscripts concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was seen by the disciples two different times, at least some of them. He was seen by others, by the, the women at the, at the uh, tomb. He was seen by the 500 believers at one time, visibly seen and heard Jesus. The historics of the Bible prove itself. But you know, if there had been no resurrection, we might as well close these, turn these lights off, close the doors and walk out. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But I love how Paul declares, but Christ is risen from the dead, and that's why we're here today. That's why we celebrate. We sang one of the songs today. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my what? My heart. 
We know the difference if we know Christ. We know what he's done in our lives. We know the change he makes. We know the comfort he brings. We know the conviction he pushes on us sometimes when we need it. He gives us guidance and insight through his spirit. All of a sudden we realize this Savior is risen. He lives within me and he's here to help me. Amen. So Christ did rise from the dead. And what are the blessings of the resurrection? There's a lot, but we're just going to mention a few today. The blessings of the resurrection. Number one, it's a fulfillment of the good news. If Christ only died, there would have been no victory over death. His resurrection fulfills the whole gospel. Remember, we talked about it, how Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he what? Rose again. That's the gospel. And then it says he was seen by multitudes of people. That is what the good news is. Not just that he died for your sin, but that he lives today to forgive you of your sin. And so it's a fulfillment of the good news that was found in the first part of 1 Corinthians. And then we see also, we receive bodies that are, will may, be made to last eternally. You know, these bodies are only made to last until death and even when we're still living, it comes with a lot of weaknesses, doesn't it? You know, I found it interesting because I've heard them say, I'm not a, in the medical field, but I'd say as soon as you are born, you start to die. I was reading some stuff. It's a little gross to me, to be honest, but it sort of helps me understand the fact that my body's always decaying. They say that an average person has about 10 trillion skin cells. I can't count that high, so I'll just take them at their word. Ten trillion. Every single hour, thirty to 40,000 fall off. Now, this is the gross part. You ever dust your TV, dust the table, dust some of those things? They say it lands everywhere. <laughs> Yuck. In a day, almost a million of those skin cells Falling off, falling off. Now, thank goodness we got new ones coming. <laughs> That's the good thing. But do we see our bodies? These bodies, they're decaying. They're heading out the door. It's only by God's gift that we, we keep living. But the Bible says because of the resurrection, we're going to have brand new bodies. We're going to have bodies that will last for eternity. We'll receive a different kind of body. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown in is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You only have to watch a television show that has a mystery of somebody dying and then finding the body to realize how quickly the body decays. But the Bible says the new one we have is imperishable. It doesn't decay. It doesn't wear out. You don't have to have the hip and the arm and the knee and whatever else surgery or, or kind of things done medically to your body. Because we will receive one that lasts forever. Verse 53, for the perishable, speaking about the body, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. God gives us something that's going to last forever. I believe we'll recognize each other in heaven without going too far in that. But I'll have a body that will be there forever. And I will live forever with Jesus in a body made forever. I'm so glad that at the end of time, the Bible says that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. It does mean there'll be some sorrow until we get to those moments. But I love in Revelation because it talks about they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Life is a lot of fun at times, isn't it? Man, we laugh, we have such a good time, we hug, we enjoy, but we also have that other side, don't we? Where we're wiping the tears away. It can be something as simple as a TV show that moves your heart, or it can be something as real as that great sense of loss that you've experienced, and you mourn, and you grieve. I did the funeral for a friend of mine this week. We went to Israel together. She died of cancer at age 59. This last year, she's gone through that whole process. It was sad. But you know, it was also a sense of joy. Even though that outward body was decaying and she passed away into heaven, she's now seeing what she longed to see. Timmy was her name. She probably knew scriptures much as most pastors. Whenever she felt she need, you needed a verse, God gave her, she would write it out, put in something nice and say, here, I, God told me to give this to you. She was a student of the word. I thought it was interesting. One of her friends here was saying last week she got the text while the choir in their cantata was singing ancient words. The very moment that she passed away, we were singing about something she loved, the Word of God. I'm glad that that's not all there is. I'm glad that God says one day there is going to be a body that I've equipped just for you. I've made it and it's never going to wear out. It's never going to be painful anymore. And you're never going to ever have to go to another funeral. You're never going to have to go to a hospital. You're never going to have to feel that sense of watching somebody you love pass away because you will be forever in an eternal state with the Lord. Which leads me to the last thought today, the blessings of the resurrection. I'm given hope. You see, our hope isn't that kind of wonderment like I hope so. It's in a sense of assurance that God gives us that when we know Jesus, because he rose from the dead, we will one day rise too. We will have that new body. We will enjoy him and heaven forever through all of eternity. We will never have any more sorrow or heartache or pain. And I got to be honest, I don't know if I can grab that. How about you? Because all my life, that's what I've known and that's what you've known. In the midst of all the joy. It comes together. I have hope for the here and now. 
1 Timothy 4.10 says, That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. I've got hope right here, right now. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven. My hope is not in me, it's in him, the one who's going to take me to be with him. I'm thankful that in my hope I become alive spiritually. 1 Peter 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us, catch this, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not in the fun things we do in this life. Our hope is in the one who rose from the dead to give us hope. And so now we have hope in this life. We're alive spiritually, and we have hope for eternity. As I said, it's not a question mark. It's an assurance. Let me ask you this question. Because the Bible says you can know. Not that you have to wonder, that you question, am I a believer? Can I really go to heaven? Can I have my sins forgiven? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yes, you can. And those of us who have already experienced it know the change that Jesus is continually doing in our lives. And so my question to each of us today is this. Do you have the hope the Bible speaks of that comes through the Lord our, and Savior, Jesus Christ? Has there been that moment in your life where you've trusted in the living Christ? You know, the amazing thing about the Bible, it's all about Jesus. And when you get to the very end, Revelation, next to the last chapter of the Bible, it talks about something incredible. It's an invitation. You see, Jesus loves us so much, he even to the very end offers opportunity to know him personally. He says this, come, every one of you who is thirsty spiritually, take the free gift of the water of life. You know, you may be here today, you may be watching online, and you may have such a thirst in your heart, in your life. You've been trying to fill it with so many things, and nothing is filling it like you thought it would. I'm telling you what, God has placed a vacuum within us that only he can fill. And it's found personally through Jesus Christ, the Lord. It's found through knowing him personally, giving your life to him. You say, Pastor, what in the world does that mean? It simply means, just like I did and like many of you have done already, you realize you're a sinner. You realize that Jesus is the Son of God who came for this purpose to die for our sins, to make the full payment for our sins, and after they put him in the grave, in the ground, in the tomb, three days later he arose again to prove it was true. And when you say, Jesus, I believe that. I believe you did it for me, and today I give you my life. However you want to word it, you're trusting him to become your Savior. When you do that, your life changes forever. All the things that we've looked at of the blessings, those things, they become a part of you. They become part because you become part of him. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? 
Do you know for sure when you walk from this place today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior because you trust in him and him alone? The Bible says all our goodness is just like dirty rags. There's nothing in us that can save ourselves. There's nothing in us that can make us good enough to say, hey, Jesus, here I am. I'm coming into heaven. You know, he even gave illustration of that. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. Even if you were religious, it only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? I remember when it all clicked as a boy, and you know what started to happen? I started feeling this draw, this realization that I needed Jesus personally, that I wanted him to forgive me of my sin. I didn't understand all the stuff of the Bible, but I did know enough to know he loved me. He wanted me to be forgiven. He wanted me to join his family. And I remember that day I came down to an altar like here and I was mom on one side, the pastor on the other, and I prayed to ask Jesus to be my savior. That was a long time ago. And he's proven himself true ever since. Do you know him today? I'm going to ask us to bow our heads just for a short time. If you don't mind closing your eyes and just focusing upon your own relationship right now with God. If you know Jesus already, you need to just thank him. You need to challenge yourself maybe to say, Lord, I want to walk in a closer walk with you. Lord, I want you to be real in my life every day. And I want others to know you through my life. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you sense that same thing I talked about it a moment ago, that I feel this urge, I feel this need, I feel God moving in my heart, and I want to know Jesus, we would be more than glad to show you from the Scriptures what that means. But I have found out as well that right there where you're seated, while I begin to pray in a moment, and even right now, you can say to him the same prayer. Dear God, thank you for giving your son Jesus to come to this earth to pay for my sin. If God is challenging your heart, say it to him right now. Thank you that you love me that much. Jesus, I believe you died, you were buried, and I believe you rose again to pay for my sin. And right now, I accept you as my savior. Help me to live a life that pleases you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, but you say, Pastor, today for the first time in my life, I prayed and I asked Jesus to be my savior. I won't embarrass you in any way, but I, would you just raise your hand? Just let me see it. Other heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Did you say yes to him today? Do you know him personally? We're going to sing in a moment too as a closing hymn, but you know, if God is speaking to your heart, I'll be down here or after the service. The worst thing you could do is to leave here today sensing God urging you to trust Jesus and walk away and say no. Father, today, 
We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your kindness. And Lord, it's because of that that we have opportunity to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus, that not only did you die and make payment for our sins, but you rose again to prove it was real and true. And because of that, Lord, we can live a life of victory. We can live a life that honors and pleases you, not through ourselves, but through the power of God in our lives. Lord, if there are those who don't know Christ today, may they turn their heart to him. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. As I said at the end of the service, I'll be around. We have other people. If you have questions, we don't try to force somebody to know Jesus, but we do like to share him because we believe it's God that saves, not us. We would love to share that with you. Well, we're going to close our Easter with another song of resurrection. So if you would stand as Sierra leads us afterwards. We'll be finished and make sure you greet each other. Thank you again for being a part today. Resurrection Day and a good Easter.